0: to Sam Podcast. Today's guest is Brian Day, a photographer and a Detroit native. I know I said in a previous podcast that Julian was one of my favorites. Brian is also somebody that I really look up to in his work. I love everything that he does, everything that he puts out. He's inspiring. He's awesome to talk to, and I'm really happy to, to know him. So I'm happy that we have him as a guest today. And we're at the Whitney, which is a historic fixture in detroit and i just feel like this is a proper location to to hang out with brian today and we're having some drinks and we're going to just chat about chat about photography and life
1: yes we are yeah thanks thanks for joining us brian uh maybe to start off where where are you from what's your where'd you grow up well first
2: of all thank you for your kind words (laughs)
1: Uh, i'm glad this isn't on camera because i'm i'm
2: blushing (laughs) I appreciate that. But uh, no, I'm from, from Detroit. I was born on the west side at uh, Sinai Hospital on, okay. on the west side, in 1977. Uh, lived on Marlowe, off Puritan, and um, spent my, my childhood years and my teen years here in the city.
0: Your teen years, and then you moved, or what happened?
2: So <clears throat> um, when it was time for high school, I was going to go to Cool High. And uh, there, there was a lot of like gang activity and stuff in the neighborhood. And, and there was one day I had sort of a close shave <laughs> close shave, <Yeah. laughs> some gang activity. <laughs> yep. 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 I almost lost my shoes in my head. And and my, oh, and, no. uh, and my dad uh, and my mom were like, it's time to go. So we, we okay. moved to Southfield. Was this pre high school or just before oh, I gosh. was supposed to go to high yeah, school? Yeah. So um, nice. so I ended up going to Southfield. High. And um, Graduated from South Ohio, went to U of M, Dearborn. Um, eventually in 1998, my wife and I got married, moved into a, we bought a house in Oak Park um, where we've been for a number of years. And then recently we bought a place here uh, back in the city
1: um, near the rivers. Okay.
0: How does it feel to buy like a place in the city? Like change of pace? Um,
2: yeah, you know, I've always wanted to get back to, um, you know, owning property in the city and, and you know, kind of um, help, help being more helpful in the neighborhood um, financially, you know, it's one thing to come to the city and, and go out to restaurants and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's another thing to even rent a place in the city, but it's something different to own a place and pay taxes, yeah. contribute to a community, um, you know, and, and try to be a part of uh, positive change you know, in a way that's, that's tangible. So, um, so I've enjoyed that.
0: It's pretty awesome. I see pictures on your Facebook of, of your house and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, this mirror. Oh my God. Oh, the chandelier. Like, it's yeah. such a nice place. And I love the photos that you're taking from it.
1: Thank you. Well, I, I
2: all the, uh, the design consultation comes from my wife. She's got <laughs> the eye. Um, but as, as far as the mirror is funny, you mentioned the mirror. So, um, so there's a, an auction house on Jefferson, Called Shell. it's like a old French auction house. But almost everything in that place was like owned by a Detroiter at some point in time. And a lot of it is like really um, old, sort of classic relics, like from a place like this. Like yeah. a, a mirror that used to be in a house in Brush Park. That's the mirror that you saw. Oh wow! So, um, so you know, we we bought a whole bunch of stuff from from uh, this place, which is ironically sort of been flipping, um, you know, things that came from Detroit homes from years ago. So that's been kind of cool.
0: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I like that. And you're a fan of architecture. Yeah. And you like Albert Kahn's, one of your favorite architects?
2: Yeah. So the building that we live in, um, Garden Court, was built by Albert Kahn in 1917. Okay. And it's on the National Register of Historic Places. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort that goes into you know, restoring the building and making it look good. And, it also, it also makes any renovations that you want to do really expensive because, you know, you got to measure up to the historical yeah. code and stuff like that. Do, uh, they
1: have, do they have to be like certified, too? Yeah, um, do you yeah. you have a plan and this, this will fit the, the motif? Exactly. Yeah, that. so
2: the uh, architectural firm that Albert Kahn started is still around today, um, and they have offices over in the new center area. And they maintain the blueprints for our building and all the other buildings that, that he did in the city. And if you want to do something significant to your place, you have to consult them and make sure you match the specs for everything that he designed originally, so.
0: Did you have to do that?
2: Yeah, it, it makes for an interesting challenge, but but it's cool, you know, it's cool to um, be in a space that people were in literally a hundred years ago, you know, and feel that history, so I love it.
0: What's your favorite building in the city?
2: Favorite building in the city, probably the Fisher building. The Fisher Building is just—I mean, it's like Michelangelo <laughs> built that building, and you know it's interesting that there was supposed to be two of them.
3: Oh. And they,
2: they finished the first one. I think they finished the first one in like 1928 or something like that, 27 or 28. And the um, the Great Depression came along, and so it basically killed the plans for for the second one. Um, so, it, but but if you you look at the first one and you see like um, you know, on the main floor and you look at how, uh, uh, opulent it is, mm-hmm. you, you can really get an idea of where Detroit was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the late twenties. Um, which is really, is really fascinating to see. My wife and I just went to the historical museum yesterday. We go there periodically just to walk around, bump around. And I've been working on a, a photo project related to the underground railroad in Detroit. So we went there just to do some research on that, yeah. but they had these videos, um, in the Rotunda area near the Kid Rock Music Museum, where they show all these old clips from the early 1900s, like video clips in Detroit. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, just Detroit was booming in in the 20s. It was the fastest growing city in the country. And so, you know, buildings like the Fisher and the Penobscot building, um, the first national building. I mean, there's there's a ton of uh, buildings here that we're really setting a standard for the country, and it was pretty impressive.
0: That's another thing that I love about Brian is that you learn so much because you you're just, as they would say, a well of knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> and you know so much about the city. And like, I just love it. It's like That's it's like crazy. you're listening to a PBS special. You
1: about, mentioned there's going to be a, a second uh, Fisher Building or type of Fisher building, where was that location? It was supposed to, to be, to be? Um, I think it was going to be diagonal to the oh, first one. Okay. So yeah. it, was, it would have been like a twin tower. exact situation. Yeah,
2: kind of across yeah. the street on Grand
3: Boulevard. Yeah. Okay.
0: What's um, funny is uh, my mom, when in the 70s when she was here, um, there was a doctor's office at the Fisher building, I guess. And so my mom would go when she was pregnant with my brother through there so wow. when i would first go there i would just imagine my mom pregnant like, trying to, <laughs> hobble not knowing english very well like trying to find the, yeah.
3: <laughs> the nice. doctor's office yeah, yeah. which i
0: think is pretty cool to have that you know like think of it that way
2: yeah yeah so much history Sure. So you're a photographer as well, Brian. I try.
1: I
3: don't yeah. know
2: if I can call myself. Okay. I dabble in photography. No, you dabble.
0: you're definitely a photographer, Brian.
2: <laughs> I'm a geek who dabbles in photography. Okay.
0: Well, like, what drew you to photography? At what point did you realize that you wanted to learn how to do that?
2: And um, photograph. So growing up, my dad, um, you know, always had a camera. He always did what you would call today street photography. Um, but back then it was just like, you know, my mother would say, why are you taking pictures of people on the street? Like, what are you doing? So he had like a Pentax, I think it was a K1000 or something like that film camera. I was always fascinated by his film camera. He never let us touch it. And I remember one day we were traveling somewhere and it got stolen. And, um, that was like the last I thought about photography until, uh, 2008, um, was when I had left automotive. It was during the recession. I left an automotive supplier that I worked for and um, went over to the health care organization that I work for today. And one of my new colleagues um, had some pictures up in his cube uh, from the, from around the city. And I, and I asked him about the pictures. I was like, oh, you know, where'd you get those pictures from? He's like, oh, I took them myself. You know, I, I, I go around the city and take pictures, you know, during the week and on the weekends. And, hey, you should come with me sometime, you know? And I was like, uh, hey, cool. I don't have a camera. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that week I went out and bought a, you know, bought a little digital camera and, you know, trailed him out. And we started hanging out and taking pictures. And that's how I started in 2008. Just going out, taking pictures and bumping around the city.
0: What were you photographing?
2: When I first started out, um, it was abandoned buildings. Okay. yeah, yep. It was a lot of abandoned which is, you know, it was a great lesson for me because, um, you know, as as a person who's not a photographer, when you're new to photography, I think you get your first camera, you're looking for whatever is the most interesting thing. Right. Yeah. And at the time in 2008, that was kind of like the lowest point of all the abandoned buildings and stuff like that. So it was kind of an adventure, you know, to wander into I, you know, I went into probably a hundred different buildings <laughs> taking yeah. pictures and stuff like that. And I guess and it was fairly
1: accessible too. It was, yeah, it was right. like no big deal. Yeah. Right.
2: You walk in, nobody said anything. I remember one time I was in the building and the police came in they looked at us and was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> it was no big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, but, you know, eventually, um, I, I had sort of a, I don't know if you want to call it an epiphany, but a moment where, um, you know, my motives were questioned and it, and it made me step back, you know, I was at the Packard plant and, um, I had been inside taking pictures and, uh, it was weird because, um, the Packard plant is so big as you guys are I'm sure know. Um, and so like devastated that when it would catch on fire, the Detroit fire department stopped fighting the fire. Like they would just let it burn out. Yeah. So I was in there and, uh, I would listen to the police radio and I heard the call that, fire department was coming because there was a fire in there. Then I saw the smoke. So I got outside of the building and I was taking pictures from the outside. And a neighbor, a guy who lived in one of the houses across the street, he was like, hey, he called me over. He said, come over here. I went over to him and he was like, uh, why why are you taking pictures, you know, of that building? And I was like, Oh, you know, it's cool. It's the it's the history of Detroit and you know, it's it's the beauty and the decay and all, all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> the, <spiel. laughs> the nonsense that people say. Yeah. And he was
2: like, uh he said, uh, if it w- if this was your neighborhood, would you be taking those pictures? Made you think. And I was like, oh man you don't know what you're talking about you know i, I kind of had an attitude about it
3: yeah um
2: you know and and so he kind of said you know um why would you do us like that you know why would you do my neighborhood like that why, why would you um what do you do with those pictures I was like, oh, i'm gonna put them on Flickr. you know so why would you put them, them online and, and make me that's he's like this is my neighborhood you making us look you know make us look bad i live here and i'm trying to have a life here and you know be a be a normal person and, and make it look like this is you know some kind of adventure you know with, with the abandoned building and so i went home after that and i was like i kicked that around in my head for for yeah. months wow and uh <laughs> after a while it was just like i i honestly don't have a reason a legitimate reason why i'm taking pictures of abandoned building some people do. There are people that like, they're doing it for archaeological reasons or, you know, yeah. preservation reasons. I didn't have a reason. It was just because I could get into the buildings, I could take some pictures and post them online, and people were interested in abandoned buildings. That's like
1: the lamest possible
3: reason to have
1: for doing that. You weren't diving into the history books? No, I, was,
2: I wasn't doing any work to, to dignify um, you know what I was doing. And so you know, after I thought about it, and it didn't happen right away. It took it took some months. But I thought about it for a while, and I felt, like, ashamed. Like, you know, that's true. Like, I feel like I went into somebody's backyard and tried to show all their dirty laundry with, like, no reason, no logic, no nothing. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. Okay. Anyway. I think
0: that was, like, a reoccurring theme because we talked to Julian Bibb. We talked to John Bore, who were, like, big on um, at the time when they were learning— Doing that kind of photography, but I what I say is that it had its purpose though.
1: It did, yeah.
0: And John and, it and I
2: did a
1: lot. We we hung
2: out so much together during that time. John, John DeBoer. Yeah, you know we we hung out so much, um, me John and the guy that I mentioned originally, that when Banksy came to Detroit, and he did those murals, like the one of the first ones he did, it was like um it was a bird cage with a you know a little canary in the birdcage and the, the photograph that he posted on his website was just the wall with a birdcage and it was like burnt on the wall. I had been to the Packer plant so many times that I knew exactly where it was. <laughs> oh wow. And when I saw the picture I was like yeah. left work, drove over there, found it right away, took pictures of it. In fact, there was a British guy on his cell phone oh, walking away from we were, you know, me and Billy the guy I was with we were like is that? Could
3: could that be Mexican? Oh my God! You guys saw him. <laughs> wow.
2: But we were at at that point in time. I was so familiar with the abandoned buildings that, um, you know, I could recognize something from sight like that. But again, I didn't. I did not have a motive. It was just purely taking the pictures and posting them lo- online to get likes.
1: Yep which is i mostly flicker you said yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And, and and again i'm not you know i don't want to disparage people that are like preservationists and right and do it for legit reasons but for me it was like that aha moment like if you don't have a reason and you're just like making people look, bad, in fact you're making your own city look bad why are you doing that?
0: that's pretty awesome that you're able to self-reflect and recognize that within yourself it takes a lot to be able, be able to get to that point and be like, you know what, I shouldn't be doing this.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and it's, you know, I, I guess it worked out because, you know, it, it created a nice challenge for me because that provided so much um, uh, material to work with. There was so much material to work with around the city that when I said, I'm not doing that anymore, it was like, okay, well, then oh, what yeah. am I going to take pictures of? <laughs> and, which created a little bit of a dilemma for me for a while. But, um, but I think that was probably the best thing that happened to me creatively because um, it forced me to, to look at other avenues in terms of making pictures.
0: And those avenues have been amazing.
2: Oh, well, thank like you. Like your
0: moment away. Oh, thank I you. love all of that. Thank Whole you. Whole body of work.
2: Thank you. Yeah, you know, I was, t- I was talking to, so I, um, I, I work with a gallery um, based out of Farnedale yeah, and I was talking to the up. gallery uh, owner that. the other day. I said, you know, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that like, all of my work is based around is, is about Detroit, like all of my work. And I don't know why I'm just not having this. But, uh, <laughs> 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 like I'm the last one to know that all my work is about Detroit. It's but realization. Even, even that series, A Moment Away, which many of the photographs were taken, like in parks that either were near Detroit or maybe even far away from Detroit to me was still kind of about Detroit because as much as I love the city and I love being here and, you know, third generation and fourth generation Detroiter, um at times the city wears you down
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: you know, times bad things happen to you in the city or, you know, you just get worn down and you need to get away. It's not that you hate your city and you wanna leave it and never come back, but sometimes you just need to like you need a moment away. Just step away from <laughs> this for a while see something else, reflect, and then come back recharge. And so even though that series was kind of like ethereal landscapes that had no visual connection to Detroit, for me, it was about Detroit because it was about my love for the city and sometimes needing to take a breath and
1: then come back, sort of re-energize for it.
3: That's beautiful. Where,
1: around Michigan or... Yeah, most Midwest of the, or- most
2: of the photographs were around Michigan. Um, a number of them were in Belle Isle. I mean, I've been going to Belle Isle since before I could walk.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, uh, that's always been a big part of my life. But um, you know, I also went to a number of state parks, you know, um, and local parks around around in the state and around the area. And that was the you know, one of the the, the premise for that series was that the locations weren't necessarily important. It was more the notion that wherever you can yeah. go, sometimes um, to find a moment to just like step back mm-hmm. and breathe and like reboot yourself. Um, maybe it's just the, the local park, you know?
1: Yeah, that's maybe all, it's that's a quiet street. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know. Just enough to shift your perspective a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so when I had the, uh, the show last year, I didn't put the locations. Of um, and that was like the first question well so "Where did you take this picture?" And it was like, "That's not what it's about. It's about wherever you go to like reset yourself mentally and emotionally, you know, to prepare yourself to go back to whatever it is you ha- you do on a daily basis, whatever you love." So that was my little take on it.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's awesome way to make people think because you always are trying to challenge the viewer. I feel like I am always trying to challenge the viewer with the way to look at my work or mm-hmm. to look at their own perspective a little bit differently.
2: Yeah. You, you know, and it's a balance because you try not to lead the witness, right? You, it, you know, everybody's going to interpret your work in different ways. Mm-hmm.
0: But a know. lot of people want to be handheld and they're like, what does this mean? Yeah, and you're yeah. like, no, no, no. Tell me, what were you <laughs> thinking when you
2: made that image? And it's like, what I was thinking is irrelevant.
1: What do you get out? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares what I was thinking? I just made the photo, you know, and, and, um, and it was I, your your vision and your interpretation of whatever you were
2: yeah I mean I, I don't know that that sounds uh, a little self-indulgent to, for okay. me to call it my vision yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Michelangelo or like that but yeah. but I mean you know you I was there's a book that's uh, that's come out in the last few months and it's about the uh, theory and practice that photographers have reflected on like with their images and and one theme that's kind of common. In a lot of the comments from the photographers is that quite often when you're taking pictures, you're not thinking of a profound thing. You know, you, it's not like you're having this, the heavens have opened up and you're like, this is going <laughs> to change people's life. You're just like making, making the work and you're trying to make it good and, and maybe you have a feeling that it might be something, but you just accumulate the work and then later you look back at the work and things start to emerge. Like, you know, hey, this this body of street photography that I've been making really kind of seems like it kind of reflects on the changes Detroit has been going through over the last few years. And maybe that's significant. Maybe I should compile that work into a body of work, into a series. But it's not like I started with a master plan.
0: Was that your plan at Detroit?
2: Yeah. yeah. So so I I, I don't feel like I can take Credit for like you know yeah I, that was my plan all along make people think <laughs> about the transition of the yep. city no, yeah. you just start compulsively taking pictures mm-hmm. and you know your eye gravitates towards certain things and after you've accumulated enough of these images you start to see things yep. that tell you something about yourself and they also tell you something about the type of stu- subject mm-hmm. matter that you were looking at right, right.
1: so. I don't give myself that much credit.
2: <laughs> but that's
1: a similar notion in like big complex no going back to work, technical mm-hmm. projects, like mm-hmm. you know, you start out with some idea or goal that you have and you you get halfway through it, it changes, it evolves, and yeah, towards the end it may become this entirely different beast Right. That feeds on all little parts from all over the project and does yeah. something you did not expect. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you come from a sort of technical background, kind of like me, and-, yeah. and Where, where you, things
1: are like, I don't know, you think they're very systematic, but what I found, you know, they're, they're not. It just ends up being this kind of complex story. Yeah. One, thing, makes sense. one yeah. thing we
2: talk about a lot at work, which I think really relates to photography, is the dilemma of how to start. Mm. You know, sometimes you think about um, a project or a goal that you have. You know, like, oh, it'd be great if I could do this and put you know X, Y, and Z together. But then you're like, well, like, where do I start? Like, what do I do first? <laughs> like, what's the first thing to do? And I remember reading. Um, there's a book called Making Movies. It was yes. by Sidney Lumet, and he talked about. Um, some of the advice that he got from various filmmakers over the years and even though it's film and not photography I think the advice is still pertinent but I think it was Steven Spielberg who said like if you got if you want to be a filmmaker the best way to start is just grab your camera and go outside just start like you go out and you start and stop making a big deal out of what starting looks like just go out there and start and after a while you start to whittle away what you don't want to see and reveal like what you think makes sense and, and thematically what you're trying to put together so for me it was just take the camera compulsively everywhere you go take pictures of what you're seeing and what you're doing and then eventually themes start to emerge
0: from. is that how you find motivation to create
2: yeah yeah and um you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate that, you know, people like the, some of the images that I've made and, and that's cool and all that, but the reality is um, I enjoy the process of making photographs even more than the end result.
0: I know, you, you posted something like that.
2: Yeah. So when I, when I first started, like I said, I, I just bought a camera and just like followed the dude that, you know, I met, It was a photographer and photographer. He taught me a lot about, you know, when I first went out, I didn't even know how to focus the camera. Like the first know, 100 pictures or so that I took were completely blurry because I was shooting. At, I bought a 50 millimeter lens. I was shooting at like F1.4 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the camera was on manual focus. And I didn't know it was on manual focus. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm taking all these pictures and I get them back and they're like all blurry. So, you know, um, but being a technical person kind of by training, um, I, I I found, I researched like all the technical yeah. stuff that I could. Like I read Ansel Adams, you know, the print yeah. and the negative. I mean, I read all of his yeah. stuff.
0: The um, zone system. The zone system, yeah, yeah I
2: studied. The, the, the
1: camera, that's the yeah. first book. Right? I, the
2: camera, the print. Yeah, yeah I, I studied all of Ansel Adams' stuff. I read his autobiography, his biography. I mean, I read everything I could about him. Um, yeah. Then uh, Cartier-Bresson, who's a you know, you famous you street you photographer. I read every single thing I could about right, him yeah. in a decisive moment yeah. and, you know, uh, how he traveled the world and he was just all over the place. Oh, yeah, sure. I read a lot about Yosef um, Kudoka, who was a photographer who is still around, um, but was one of the original Magnum photographers who's just like this nomad that travels the world making pictures all over the place. And so I was, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, I was sort of building this foundation of uh, this technical layer um, of you know, really understanding how photography works. Um, you know, I, I dabbled in some design at the, at the, you know, back in the day, some web design, mm-hmm. motion graphic design, and stuff like that. And um, some of those principles were guiding me as a as a photographer. Learn as much as you can about the rules so that you can break the rules right. and become creative. And so um, I just became obsessive about it. Like I would have a camera on me all the time, wherever I went. There's a camera in my coat, camera in my pocket, and you know, I was taking pictures of everything, just like you know, as as Gary Winogrand said in an interview years ago that he'd take. Took pictures of things just to see what they look like photographed. Mm. I was like that guy. Like I just wanted to see what stuff looked like in it in photographs. And uh, and so that was kind of my start with just obsessively making photographs of every everything I saw that like made me go, oh, that's when you take a picture. You know. Uh, so that was kind of my the start of my process. Um, over time, as I started to develop certain themes around my work. <clears throat> Then I learned how to strategize around like what it is I'm trying to make an image of, and you know what kind of mood I'm trying to create. Or you know, um, some consistency started to develop in the appearance of my work. Like I realized that I really like I prefer black and white, mm. and it's not for any particular nostalgic reason. But you know, I mean, all the billions, trillions of photographs that you see in the world today are in color, right? and you get so used to it and we're so desensitized to imagery that black and white is kind of um anathema you know yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things it's like
1: why are you doing that yep. but, it's it um, strips strips it down uh i think to the raw lines and yeah, cases. <laughs>
2: and you know going back to um you know sort of my, my love for architecture years ago you know lines lines like plumbing level Light and shadow, you know those those things become like what you're looking at, you know. And the difference, the main difference between a black and white photograph and a color photograph is that with black and white, there's nothing that will inherently jump out to you, you know. Color photograph, if everybody in the color photograph is wearing black and one person's wearing red, yep. your eye is going to the red, yep, right? black and white photograph everything is a shade of gray so you kind of have to study the image a
1: little bit more in and, order and to start start playing around with shadows right and lighting yeah
2: and you, you learn that you can do stuff with negative space not just with colors or right. you know um whatever is dominant in frame so I, I took that on as a challenge um there was a designer uh stefan Sagmeister, and another designer named hillman curtis whose work i used to follow a lot back in the day and, and they wrote a lot about how limitations can um, actually increase your creativity yeah. and how when you when you start down a creative path you should set limitations for yourself because limitations force you to innovate and solve a problem within the bounds of something doing is better than sitting around just reading
0: oh for sure right so as you were going along your digital path, um, now you're kind of stumbling upon large format film. Yeah. How was that transition?
2: You know, I always wanted to shoot film, even when I first started, because that's what my father did.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, it's just that, you know, when, when I started to pick up photography around 2008, it was, you know, film has actually come back within the last 10 years. But around 2008, it was like,
1: you know, try like, finding somewhere that's going to develop yeah. your film. <laughs> and That's when digital cameras were, I guess boom in yeah, or, they, yeah they
2: were really starting to take off yeah. and so um and and there's so much to you know film photography refrigerating the film and the chemicals and you know or getting it developed but I was just like like what's the easiest way for me to start yeah, yeah. making pictures and that it was digital but over time you know having made pictures for a number of years I came back to I, I really appreciate the craftsmanship of photography and making the photograph even more so than the end result and you know nothing is more uh, uh indicative of doing that than shooting film and you know with the shooting uh large format in particular is so unforgiving like i made so many humiliating
1: mistakes <laughs> another another constraint have
0: another you done constraint. have you done with the polaroid back that's even worse not yet
2: but but i'll tell you but just, a, you know, another example of my just blatant stupidity, I bought a Hoga, right? So I was like, oh, I'm going to get a Hoga. It's medium format. I wanted a uh, Hasselblad, like yeah. 503, See? I could, you know couldn't afford that. I didn't know what I was doing.
1: So I was like, I started with a Hoga.
2: Bought a Hoga, looked up how to load the film,
1: loaded the film, went out. So it's a 120? Uh, Yeah, 120 medium format.
0: What a lot of people like is to shoot uh, color with it because it allows light leaks in it and so some funky stuff happens. I'm like, oh
2: yeah, this is going to be cool. So I loaded up this holga and went out shot a roll. Man, that went well. Changed the film. Like, wow, I changed the film without exposing it. it I shot, I think, four rolls of film. (laughs) And at the end of the day, I got back in the car and I don't know how what made me notice it, but the lens cap was on the whole <gasps> <No>! time. <laughs> because you know with a Holga, you look through the viewfinder yeah. and
1: you... It's not a, through the yes. lens.
2: So yeah. The, the...
0: yeah. <laughs> and that thing's so light that you don't even... Right. You're just like... <laughs> so it was of... like,
2: I was walking around like, yes, yes,
0: yes I'm <laughs> nailing it.
2: And the whole time the lens cap
0: was
2: on. <laughs> so That's I, hilarious. I've learned a lot from my stupidity. You? <laughs> no,
0: but you do that also. I did that when I was learning large format too, where I, I set up this whole shot and then you just screw up something. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And so when I got into large format, um, I've been shooting four the, by five.
1: Four by five. Yeah, okay.
2: I've been shooting four by five. And, um, so many mistakes, you know, like double exposing or, you know, pulling the dark slide too early while, while you still got the, uh, the, the shutters open from the last Or you last didn't
0: shot. load it right because you were in a rush and you were freaking out and then you forgot like, oh, which side is it? So many mistakes.
2: Right? But, but I, you know, as, having been shooting now for coming up on 12 years, um, again, I, I actually love that now. Like that slow process, mm. you know, I'm developing a black and white film at home. Yeah myself and um you know you go through you learn so, many, so much yeah just you like, learn that oh yeah. i, I d- didn't develop it long enough or if i develop it a little bit longer i can you know get more out of it i mean you, it's just so much that you learn exactly. out of it. and and which by the way is as, as an aside i owe a, a debt of gratitude to eleanor oaks um so when i first when i bought my first four by five i sent her a, a note and i was like, hey. Think you could spend some time with me and like show me, <laughs> <laughs> show me what I'm doing? And she was like, "Yeah, come on." I went over to Darkroom Detroit, spent a couple hours. She showed me everything that I that I needed to do, and um, it, it gave me the confidence to go out and try it. So
0: that's awesome. It,
2: it's nice to have people in your life that are willing to you know give sure. you a little bit of time, you know, not tell you how to do it, but give you a little yep. bit of guidance. One of my favorite photographers um, here in Detroit is a guy named Bill Robs who died just a couple of years ago. And and, he took photographs from like 50 years in the city. And he's got this great book of photographs that if you look through it, it's not like apparent that he was working on a specific story or whatever. He was just compulsively photographing the city and the city was evolving around him as he was photographing it. That's one of those things that at the time that you're doing it, it doesn't, it, it may not have a ton of value like in the moment.
1: <laughs> You're just out there taking photos. You're just out there making photos. You need that, but, but that o- aspect of time. But over time, time
2: you know, people die, buildings get torn down, new buildings come up, um, neighborhoods change, communities evolve, you know, the the sort of circle of life, <laughs> to use the corny lion king reference um (laughs) you know kind of comes into play in 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 the city and so if you just keep at it it becomes an anthology
3: of Mm -hmm.
2: where you are and so for me um i never set out to be a detroit's documentarian or anything like that but um but i have come to realize after almost 12 years of you know kind of compulsively making pictures in the city that are you know, either street photography based or architecture based or street portraiture, you know, all these different, you know, firefighter things. Um, you put them all together as a body of work and it starts to smell like
1: an anthology.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just needed that time. Needed yeah. Some time.
2: And, and so, um, as I mentioned, when I was talking to the um, the gallery owner the other day about like, what are, what are my goals for 2020, um, um, you know, First goal, I you was know, like, I don't think I want to have another show in 2020, maybe 2021 or 2022 while I work on this Underground Railroad project and a couple other things. But but what I have realized is, yeah, maybe maybe the work does have a place in Detroit's history over the last 10, 12 years. And maybe it should be in a book because I've tried to stay true. To, you know, Images aren't like manipulated or. Um, you know, propaganda, you know, focused or anything like that. It's just, yeah. just been making pictures of the city, mm-hmm. and um, so so maybe I do have some obligation to encapsulate that and preserve it for some future time. Whether people look at it now or twenty years from now, I mean, I I can't um, concern myself with uh, whether or not I'm gonna get immediate gratification out of it. I do it because I love it. <laughs> but if I create a a body of work that like people down the line look back and go oh, that's what detroit was like in 2008 or in 2012. Yeah. Mm-hmm. well then i'd rather it be that mm-hmm. than some fictionalized story that somebody parachuted in as alan talks about parachute journal. somebody parachuted in and was like oh detroit was ancient rome you know <laughs> after nero burned it down <laughs>
0: um
2: I'm nero. Yeah. so you know i i I think that um, you know I'd like to try to do that some justice if I can. That's what's next for me is to, you know, possibly put together a book over the course of this year. Um, nothing flashy, but just something that maybe represents this chapter, little chapter of
1: history. What's what's your the time span of your photos currently that you're um, thinking of? Well, I started in,
2: like I said I started in 2008 and. Um, you know, I've been I've been making photographs compulsively since the, I think I have like in total probably 250,000 photographs
1: um, like
2: archived right yeah. now.
1: But that's um, yeah, 2008 until now. To now. I mean, that's yeah. I think there's a story there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you <laughs> know, but there, it, there's some there's some change. Yeah. Man,
2: but as, as we mentioned at the, at the outset, that's not what I started out
1: trying to right, do yeah you don't realize that until <laughs>
2: yeah, just you look it. back you know like like i've got one picture um it's a picture of it's on woodward avenue and it's a picture of a guy. It's a black man he's holding a manila, a manila folder and he's kind of looking up towards me but above me um and he's got this look on his face like kind of like that wow look and in the foreground of the photograph it's like all these construction signs like um mm. you know, road clothes under construction one way you know all these different signs and um i looked at that photograph recently and i i go down that road every day you know what we're in jefferson and it's changed so there's a freaking plum market at that corner where i took that picture and who would have thought detroit would ever have a plum market yeah <laughs> You know Noah Stevens, who I, who I think we all know, did a did a series of just a few years ago on the food desert in Detroit, which was really about how difficult it is to find groceries in the city of Detroit.
0: Now we and, have a Whole Foods, and now you got yeah. a, a Whole Foods food and a Plum Market. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the city is like changed, um, but at the same time, a lot of that change has been focused in a very small radius that. Mm-hmm. that Um, In order for it to be sustainable Uh, and significant to the average resident, it needs to grow way beyond the campus marshes Uh, radius, um, circle, Uh but it still uh, reflects a significant change.
0: And it's even changed continuously, continuously changing for businesses that started in 2008. Look at Gold Cash Gold. I know how uh, they're closing, so like closing down because of the saturation of right. restaurants that are now in the city. Yeah, there's no way all of those are going to be sustainable. And that's something yeah. that I thought of when they were all opening.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So what's it going to look like in another ten years? I right. have no idea.
2: And, and you know, we've, we've
1: like, I don't know. Have we reached peak peak restaurant for the current year?
2: Well, um, I mean, you know, if you go to any other city, um, you go to New York or Chicago. There's a couple of like stalwart restaurants, but most of them they flip constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just the restaurant business, mm-hmm. and I think Detroit is seeing some of that. But but I think there's also the element of um, Detroit is such a big city um, that lacks the density of a uh, New York or Chicago or San Francisco. That small businesses. Um, can be knocked yeah. under by something as simple as road construction, just like in the fashion district on right. right. Livernoise, right? You blocked the parking for three months. You could put somebody out of business. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they did that a lot when they were doing the queue the line. Right. A lot of the businesses that were on here on Woodward, they had to close down like the yoga studio and these other places that were a lot smaller. Yeah.
2: And so unfortunately, you know, I think that there are a number of businesses in Detroit that are casualties of not being able to hold on long enough, mm-hmm. you know, and, and go cash Gold, If they could stick around three more years, you know, what will that neighborhood look like before right, right, right. it finishes the train station and gets all those other buildings? Really, they can't
0: hold. They're going to keep the building, but they can't hold on that business. Right, they, they can't
2: keep the can't keep enough revenue coming mm-hmm. in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they if they could bridge for the next couple of years, they're just a little bit too early for where they are. And that's unfortunate you know um there's a restaurant downtown i won't name but um it's an it's been it's become a new restaurant um just in the last year or so but i was there um my wife and i were there about three years ago and we're ordering dinner and and i recognize a guy um coming out of the back that i went to high school with i graduated high school in 1994. um So he comes over, we start talking, we used to play ball together, you know, back when we were teenagers. He tells me how um, he took his, you know, his life savings and invested it into getting this place and um, built it up from the ground up. Yep, that's me. Thank you, appreciate it. Um, But he he took his own hard-earned cash, you know, to to build this place up and make it nice from, from when it was dilapidated and You know, walls falling in and all that, and uh, you know, I was—we were all proud of him. My wife and I were like, "Yeah, that's you know, that's what's up. That's what you're supposed to do." I know, you know, giving him his props. Like six months later, he was gone, Mm. and there's another restaurant that's there now. Like after he did all the work to fix that place up, and he's out there like standing in front of the restaurant trying to get people to come in. He's doing all this work. Somebody else. The problem was. He didn't own it.
3: Yeah. He was renting. Oh, yeah.
2: So, you know, the landlord was just like, yeah, hey, thanks for all your hard work. Yep. Yeah, thanks
1: for turning this around. (laughs) Thanks for
2: turning this around. Thanks for prepping it for the next. Now we're going to put somebody in here that, you know, and and pushed him out. And that was like, man, you know, he and I don't keep in touch. uh, We're not like close friends with it. like, um, really hurt my heart to there. see mm-hmm. that this brother put all this work into into this dream that she he did. had. And, the you know, because area. the, oh, the yeah. area evolved, you spot. know, yeah. capitalism yeah. struck, pushed him right on out of where, you know, and who knows what happened to his life savings, you know, that he invested in making that restaurant as nice as he could. And so, so there, that is um, the sad part about, like, detroit's renaissance if you want to call it or you know uh, i feel like that phrase new detroit is almost like a bad word yeah <laughs> people say new detroit it's like Ugh! don't say that <laughs> but uh but that's one of the casualties of um new investors coming into <laughs> the city i was reading an article just earlier today that mentioned that there's more renters in detroit than owners mm. and you know that's homes and businesses And so I I do feel like uh, for for the city to really sustain, um, keep its identity and sustain its growth long term, you hope that in the core, in the neighborhoods, you know they can see some of that progress. But then the businesses that have been here all along can find some sustainability too, and not just be pushed out because you know somebody who's willing to pay more in rent comes along next. That's a different talk show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's another episode for a different yeah. podcast.
0: Right. So, how do you find um, that ambition to, to go to galleries and the motivation to like continue to pursue to show your work and to continue working and know like how did you know what you wanted to photograph and know who you are as a photographer? I think a lot of people struggle with that. It's finding that ambition and that and knowing what you want to do. In general,
1: yeah. Did, did that come through in your kind of deep, deep research phase, or reading books, and or, yeah, I or think just it's your curiosity. It slowly
2: evolved over time. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I think if 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 we step back from the topic of photography for a minute, um, anybody who wants to be a craftsman or wants to be good or do anything significant in anything. Um, it helps if you love it,
1: first. right? Right.
2: <laughs> you know, and and that scene that sounds trite, but a lot no, of people. it's it's so
1: so true. Yeah,
2: and then, yeah. But a lot of people get into things that they don't love. Their their motivation is um, attention, for
3: outside or outside <laughs> pressure. Yeah, outside
2: pressure, or they just want to be considered to be good at something. Yep. But the underlying truth is they don't really, they don't love it. Like, they wouldn't do it if they weren't getting any attention if nobody was looking. (laughs) And you see that on social media a lot, right? You look at people on Facebook and Instagram that, you know, post things and it's like, it's for the gram. It's not, it's not because you love
0: it. Yeah.
2: And so. um,
0: It's for the notoriety of that instant gratification of Instagram. Right, right. In the name, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so I think um, the first thing for me is, you know, I, I came to realize that I love taking pictures.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can imagine like and
2: it doesn't matter a whole lot what the theme. Yes, yeah, love taking pictures. You know. um, so, starting with that as the foundation, um, then over time, I was able to realize and acknowledge okay so i'm making i I got several threads that are relatively consistent in my work so like i'm doing the street photography stuff which became the planet detroit series um taking a lot of pictures of the detroit fire department because i've got like 15 friends i grew up with that are detroit firefighters Mm -hmm. so i got that series um you know i've had this love for architecture for all these years so i'm doing this architecture stuff And then, like, you know, when I first started out with studying the Ansel Adams stuff, gave me a love for, like, landscape type stuff. So I got these, like, four themes that I kind of cycled through. And then at one point, um, I did a series on drone photography. But, you know, I I did it from the perspective of, um, you know, similar to architecture, you know, with an architecture mind in terms of making the images as precise as possible and sort of plumbing level but composed in vertical space instead of horizontal space.
1: Yeah, one of the shots that or I've seen before, your, the Belle Isle Bridge mm-hmm. shot. I think that's in your, your series, and it's at night, and you've got a single car going mm-hmm. across the, the bridge. It's great. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a, cool. lot,
2: a lot of those projects came from um, experimentation like now, Now that i got this drone, it's got a camera on it, I wonder if I can do a long exposure. And like, how long of an exposure could I do?
1: So I took the camera, flew it yeah. over to. How stable know? is the, was the drone pretty stable for a uh, long yeah, exposure? It,
2: you know, it has an accelerometer and, you know, GPS control, so it, it stabilizes itself pretty well. But, you know, going back to the original thought about, you know, when you really love something, um, you experiment, you play with it, you try, you fail, you just keep going. It's not about like, I don't care if I get anything out of this, yeah, you but,
1: just, you, you play with it,
2: you know? Yeah. When So when I got, got my drone, it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna do the series. It was just like, I wonder what I can do with it, <laughs> you know? And and at first I was using it like, um, a 400 foot tripod, you know? It was, Fly the, fly the drone way up and take these shots of the horizon. And then after a while, I was like, well, what if I pointed the camera straight down and sort of abstracted segments of the city? That's cool. But now what if, like, I wonder what kind of exposures I can get. Like, what if I could get a 10-second exposure of cars going by from a drone at 400 feet looking down on Bell Isle Bridge yeah, or whatever? Yeah. So for me, though, the, the a lot of my work has evolved from that sort of
1: playful yeah, experimentation, curiosity, pushing. Yeah, push, just push the limit a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How far can I push it? Mm-hmm. Trying to maybe break it and then, or not. <laughs> yeah, no, not it was, break are right. But you, I think you get what I mean. Yeah, you, you push.
2: You push whatever. Break what, it,
1: break what you know.
2: Yeah, you yeah. know. I don't like to talk about gear um in the technical sense a lot a lot of people ask me a lot you know what kind of camera do you shoot with and all that on the one hand it's irrelevant because you can make a great photograph with whatever you got but on the other hand the tool that you have has capabilities and limitations and you can exploit those to creative effect if you learn how they work and experiment with pushing it to its limits that's how you unlock something new right is you take you take if you got a uh, an iPhone as a camera what kind of shots can I get with it what can I do with the exposure how can I play with you know um, the, the the settings on the camera what how far can I push it and in that experimentation is how you learn to create something that's totally new so the fact that you shoot with an iPhone actually is significant <laughs> in, in in that
1: respect um, still make making a photograph
2: right. 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 So so that, that's kind of driven, um, you know, my, my work over the years. But just sort of personally, I've I realized that I keep cycling back through the same themes. And so I'll just sort of acknowledge those are the themes I think I really care about. And those are the ones I'll continue to work on because that's what I love making
0: pictures. Mm-hmm. Would you have ever did you or did you ever think about quitting your job, your day job and going into photography full time? Well, no.
1: I, can't it no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think it's
0: not a bad thing to have like a day job and do photography, right. or like vice versa to do photography full time. Mm-hmm. I
2: think the number one reason why I love photography is because I don't have to do it. Yep. If I, if it was my job, I wouldn't. No, my actual day job, I love it because my first love before photography was technology, was computers and stuff like that. And, you know, my career is centered around technology and caring for patients and healthcare. I love doing that, it's meaningful. I can see the results of it. You know, when I go down to the hospital that I work at, I see my neighbors, my friends, and my family members, and I know what it means to do something significant that benefits them. But with photography, if if I was a professional photographer and I had to do weddings, you know, those kinds of events, for me, that's not where my passion lies. Yep. And I think I would struggle at it because I don't feel a compulsion. Like, I'm going to get up and shoot a wedding today. There are people that there are
1: like that. And, and they're and great
3: wedding photographers. And they're great artists. Yeah. And
2: you need those people, yeah. right? The world needs those people. But, but I've never felt that compulsion. And so the, the biggest attraction to photography for me is that it's self funded for me. I can fail, nobody cares if if I take a hundred horrible pictures it's all on me. nobody cares nobody's hurt <laughs> it's just it's just me yep. but but on the positive side, if I do strike oil and make a few good photographs then cool I can do I can put them in a show or I can share them with people or whatever um so I like that freedom that and I think that's why I continue to be motivated around photography, and that's why I've never considered my job to become a full-time because just for me I wouldn't feel motivated mm.
0: who's one of your favorite photographers at this moment?
2: Mm. Um, why well, you know I'll rattle off a couple of local names just because I think they are um, historically significant but Dave Giordano um, you know I, I had an opportunity to spend some time with him at his uh, studio in Chicago a couple of years ago and his wife. And um I went through his archive. The man's been shooting for 40 years and wow. he's done every single thing I've ever thought about attempting. <laughs> every style of photography I've ever attempted, he's done it
0: already. Mm-hmm. His
3: and a hundred other
2: things I've never even thought about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you look at people like that and you just it's humbling. Um, but it's inspiring to see like what's possible mm-hmm. if you if you keep going for something. Um, another person is Don Hudson. I don't know if you've met Don yet. Um, I, I, no, I haven't. I'm trying to connect him with Alan. But Don Hudson was, you know, he's a Metro Detroiter, and he's also been taking street photographs in Detroit since the '70s. And uh, it's almost like Vivian Meyer. A couple of years ago, he posted some stuff on on Flickr, and everybody was like, what? "Where did these pictures come from?" You know. The uh, Republican National Convention in Detroit wow. in like 1974 or something. Yeah. Oh wow! He's got pictures of Ronald Reagan and I mean, yeah. that's just insane. all this amazing photography, and he put out a book called From the Archives, which I believe he's working on another book. I hope I didn't just rat him out, but um, <laughs> but like Don, waiting for that book. Yeah, but and Don and um, uh, Dave's phot- photography is they're diff- they're very different. But but those kinds of guys have been inspiring to me. Um, I mentioned Ansel Adams. Um, there's other guys like Michael Kenna, you know, his landscape photography and minimalism. It's always been inspiring to me. Um, Trent Park. Um, Joel Meyerowitz is probably one of my favorite photographers. Of all time. Joel's a man. And Yosef Kudelka, who I mentioned earlier. Um, just an amazing photographer. Dawu Bay Yeah. Um, you know, does some amazing work. Um, it's you know, you find inspiration um, all over the place. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but I almost feel like you know, there's not necessarily great photographers, but there are photographers that make great photographs. And so, you know, even from somebody that's totally obscure, they may have a photograph that you look at and you go, "Yo, man, that photo, that photograph humbles me." I connect with it. It inspires me. And so there's there's like so many people like that, you know, that you got the big names, the people that have been really successful, but just random. I just love looking at photography, just random. Work. Yeah, I think
1: that's the, the power of photography.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think as we wind down, is there any advice <laughs> that you'd like to give our listeners or anything like that? Those who are lacking ambition, those who are
1: maybe just starting, out or, and starting
0: uh, out or that have been established for a while and they need some motivation
1: um
2: I'll repeat that advice that I read from Steven All Spielberg to um, you know new filmmakers um, same for new photographers or uninspired photographers grab your camera and go out and shoot something anything and keep shooting and you know don't think about um being popular, or you know, find your love for it, because you know if if your attraction to the craft is based on how many Instagram followers you got, or you know whether or not I got published in something, you're gonna get discouraged mm-hmm. because you're in a field of literally trillions of photographs, mm-hmm. and your work may not get noticed in your lifetime.
1: Right, it may so not get noticed at, at all. <laughs> But but and then even if I may interrupt, even if you do, you know, get uh, your, your work shown somewhere, you do that. And mm-hmm. then, you know, there's always the next thing that happened and you're always looking for right. the next. Yeah. And it's I think it's important to be comfortable with what you're producing and just have a love for it.
2: I agree. I, I you I think you have to find your personal affection for what you're doing yeah. with the work and let that be your driver and nothing else. And if good things happen, awesome. But if they don't, whatever. Right. I'm doing it because I love it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think those are the people that are ultimately the most successful at making work. And if I could give anybody any advice, if I can give myself advice when I was first starting out, um, it would be that. Um, I, I would also say um, don't be ashamed of wherever you start. You know because where you start is a part of your learning journey you know and i look at you know 2008 brian day and today i would think about shooting those abandoned building photographs but doing that brought me to that moment <laughs> where i got humbled and it set me on a different course. so mm-hmm. why would i erase that from my from yeah. my past that's it's part, of, part sure of your story right
0: Thank you so much, Brian. Really appreciate chatting with you, as always. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, <gasps> Brian.
3: I
2: hope I didn't use a volume memory card. <laughs> you
0: didn't. It's all
1: wonderful.
3: content.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you got a good editor. <laughs> Stay
3: cool. All right.
1: All Thank right. you. Thank you.